morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so glad to be with you today, as always. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 22, that's where we're going to be in our time together. And um, I just want to give you uh, a moment to get there, Genesis 22, and uh, get you kind of ready for where we're going. I don't know about you all, but uh, if you've ever had to move, how many of you in here have ever had to move before? Just the... Yeah, three times. That's pretty good. I, I moved a little more than three times, but not as much as some others in this room. It is hard to move. There's always things you got to worry about when you move. Some of the things I talk about that are hard to find, it's hard to find a veterinarian, it's hard to find a doctor, it's hard to find a dentist, it's hard to find, those are all medical field, right? And then it's hard to find a mechanic. They work on things under the hood too. Um, it's hard to find all those things, but one of the things that I stress about the most going somewhere new might be surprising to you. Uh, maybe because of the way I look, maybe because of things that you just think aren't that big to worry about. But I had some experiences in my college days where uh, I went to get a haircut at different places, and I got butchered, okay? I mean, butchered. So much so that I, I had to wear a hat everywhere I went, and it was like a place after place. I mean, I don't think you should ever get a haircut in Troy, Alabama. <laughs> just don't get a haircut. See, I know. Don't do it. Do not do it. So you got an amen already. It is bad there. You don't need to get a haircut. So I'm not saying everybody there is bad, but 20 years ago it was, or longer than that. And uh, I just want to encourage you that, uh, that I have found a place to get a haircut. I kind of knew. So when I came into town, I used to go to a place in town. I won't say the name, but uh, they're great. They're awesome, and I like them a lot. In fact, I know the owners, and I've known them. Both of us, I knew them. They knew me on the other side of the cross, okay? So we knew each other back, way back when. And so I kind of knew these folks. I knew that if I came in town, I had a place to go. So I called them up this weekend or this week, and I said, hey, I want to get a haircut. Do you have a time for me? And uh, they were like, well, I don't have a time for you to be with us. We're really slammed for me and this, this is a husband and wife team. And uh, I said, I, they're slammed. And so I said, okay, well, that's good. Okay. Maybe next week. So I can get you in, though, today if you want to come up this morning, and I can get you in around lunchtime. And so I I got real nervous inside. I didn't realize how nervous I was going to be, you know? I got real nervous. I was thinking, oh, my, my what if it doesn't work out? Like, it, what, if it's, what if it's bad, and then I've got to step up in front of everybody and wear a baseball cap on Sunday morning? And that would be horrible, right? Or, well, I don't have a lot left. I don't want to mess up what I got, you know? But I thought, I trust my friends, so I, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to try it out. So I went, and I stepped in, and it was somebody that I knew, but I didn't even know they cut hair. And they did such a great, I think, a great job, don't you think? Great job. Okay, it's, ooh, all right, they did a great job. And I am so excited that I have somebody to cut my hair. But you know what? I, I oftentimes will go back to this prayer in my heart where I say, hey, God, would you provide this for me? I'm asking for this thing. Would you provide for me? And I know that I'm not the only one that asks that. I ask God to provide all kinds of things for me. And we hear preachers often talk about providing and God will provide. And we hear people talk about how I asked for this and God provided it. I think that we have a real misunderstanding sometimes of what it means that God will provide. And so I want to talk about God being this Hebrew term, this Jehovah Jireh today. We're going to to learn where that kind of word comes from for God. Uh, That means that God is the provider. I also want to talk to you for a minute as we look at the scripture. The scriptures do more of the speaking about how we are to understand what provision means when it comes from God. Because I also don't know about many of your stories the way I hope to in the future But I know that not all of us have gone through all great things all the time. That many of us have gone through difficult, some I might even classify as horrible times in our lives, loss, hurt, betrayal, 
shame, things that should never have happened to us that we wish would never happen to anybody else. Some of us have gone through things like that. And I want to talk about how God is still a good provider who will always provide, but may not provide the way that we kind of want him to or sometimes expect him to. And so I want to help us understand how to put those things into play. This story, many of you know, it's about Abraham and Isaac, about Abraham and his son Isaac that was a promised blessing to him. In fact, uh, let me just kind of give you the background as we get into this, right? If you went back to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, you would hear these things. The Lord said to Abram, that was his name back then, not Abraham yet. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing, he says to Abram. He says in verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, so in Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a huge, huge promise, isn't it? I, he says, get up and go. He doesn't say where. He says, I'll tell you where when you're on the way. And go, and I will make you a blessing. And through, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham could have no idea what he's talking about there in its fulfillment, in its ultimate sense. But he trusted the Lord. He didn't have all the rules and regulations in Scripture, or all the things to figure out the path and the do's and don'ts. He just knew God said go, so he went right? And we like to see Abraham as one of these guys who was a king, not really a king in real life, but I mean a king of the faith, right? He was like a hero of the faith. He's in what I call the hall of heroes in Hebrews 11, and we'll see that later. But I want you to understand that, that what Abraham, what we need to really understand is that he heard God say go, and what's hero about him is that he obeyed. He just went. Now, let's continue on down the path, right? Genesis 15 uh, we see that he's going along the path, and we see these things jump out. It says, he says I'm going to make you so plentiful that through your seed, through the son I'm going to give you, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to have descendants that number bigger than the stars. Look in verse, chapter 15, 5 through 6, if you've got it there and you turn to it. It says, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord... Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. We heard about that last week, if you remember. If you haven't, go back and listen to that sermon as well. He believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So he's not righteous in himself. He's counted or called or declared righteous based off the faith of believing in the Lord, based off the, the work that will come in Christ who makes that possible. But he believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We then see after that, right after that, and continue on, if you read through the verses, that God then makes a unilateral covenant with him. So he basically says, all right, I'm going to make a promise to you. He says, go and, and take these animals, cut them in half. Okay, it's kind of gross, right? Cut them in half, split them up, put one on each side, and then God passes through these animals. He's basically doing something that in that culture would have meant, I am covenanting with you to do this thing, and if I don't do it, you can cut me in half. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I will do this thing. I'm promising you I will do this. A unilateral covenant. It doesn't depend on what you do. I'm going to do this thing. And he covenants to do exactly what we see he said here, that he will make him into a, a mighty nation, that he will bless him, and through his offspring, all the world will be blessed. That's his covenant. And then we come up to where we see this, this couple who's wondering, well, how are we going to do this? We don't have any kids, right? Sarai, that's her name at that point in time, and Abram, and God reveals, you're going to have a son. 
and uh, they, they can't believe it. Well, it doesn't come fast enough, so they try to figure it out themselves. The long story short of the soap opera is that uh, Sarah gets tired of waiting, and so she kind of gets her handmaiden and gives her to Abraham and says, hey, just take her and go have a baby, and then that'll be our son. It was kind of a practice in the day. And uh, so he did, and they had a son named Ishmael with Hagar, his, handma- his wife's handmaiden. And God said, that's not the one. I've got a son coming. I promise through Sarah and you, I'll give you a son. She's been barren. He's 99 years old. She hasn't had any babies yet, but they couldn't wait. I mean, they should have waited. So then they have a son. His name's Isaac. And he's the fulfillment of the promise. Everything they've hoped for in this boy, you can imagine, right? A barren family yearning and yearning and yearning and having this promise. But how's it going to work? How's it going to work? And now they have the son his name is Isaac. And they're overjoyed about this. And they live with Isaac for years. In fact, this story we pick up, you may think he's a little lad at this point, but really he's probably a teenager by this point. Uh, we're going to pick up the story now where it, the story turns. Everything's been good. It's been great. Go to this new land. He shows him after his, his brother kind of leaves him in a bad spot. He says, hey, this will be all your land. Everything you can see. Uh, the 360 degrees is yours. I'll make this into your descendant's land. And he gives him the son. In fact, he changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many. Okay? That's a promise, right? Fulfilled in his name. He changes Sarah's name to Sarah, which means princess. Okay? She's going to be the, the queen of the many nations, right? That's how it's going to work out. She's the queen of all this stuff. That's, that's how it's working out. But now we pick it up in Genesis 22. There's a big turn. I want us to read. And as we read, I want you to think about this question. We know the story is, is that, that God's going to have ruining the story. God's going to ask Abraham to sacrifice his son for him. Okay, sounds crazy. It should sound crazy. And I want you to ask this question. How could God ask Abraham to do that? How could, how could God do that and fulfill his promise? How could he do that and be in character with himself? Right, that's the question that should be ringing in your ears as we walk. Here we go. Look at verses 1 and 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Let me repeat that again. I'm going to break it down. So after these things, God tested Abraham. Now, we know it's a test. Abraham doesn't know that. We're getting the benefit of the narrator. You may ask the question sometimes, is it better for us to, I wish I'd have been in the story and seen all this stuff happen. No, 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 no. We've got the best point of view. We have God narrating the story for us, right? But he says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son. Now that language should ring in our ears. That's language used of Christ, of the Father speaking of the Christ. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. He's like, I know you love him. He's your only son. The, The answer to the covenant I've given you. He's your only son, the one that you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, we like to just gloss over that and be like, wow, he's going to offer him as a burnt offering. Let me just explain what that means so we get the full picture in our mind. It's a little graphic, but we need to understand it. What he's telling him to do is the burnt offering, this is what you would do. You take an animal and you would make a a pyre or a pile of of wood and you would make an altar there to put the animal on to burn, okay? You put the animal on there, and then you would slit the throat of the animal to bleed the animal out. They would then take some of that blood, and they would sprinkle it on as far as if it was a sacrifice. They would sprinkle that blood, talk about the cleansing agent of God and how we need to be cleansed of our sin. Right? But this here, he said, sacrifice them. So you, would, you would drain the animal of his blood by slitting his throat. Then you would dismember it, cut it up, and then you would put it on the altar, and you would burn it. That's what he means by make your son a burnt offering. 
We need to understand that because we need to understand the gravity of what's being said here. The son you've hoped for your whole life, you've lived over 100 years old now, the, the, the son that you've desired your whole life, the son I promised to you, the son that, that I promised that through him would be generations that would number greater than the stars, that your descendants would number greater than that. And through him, would be, you would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Now take him, slit his throat, cut him up, put him on the altar, and burn him up. That's what he's saying. The faces I see looking at me now is, is, is a little taste of what was going on in the heart of Abraham. Look, here's your first point today to walk away with. Even when God's directives don't seem to make sense, God always provides. Let me say it again. Even when God's directives don't seem to make sense, God always provides. It seems like God is contradicting himself. There's going to be things in your life that come upon you, and God's going to indicate to you we need to go in a certain direction, and you're going to say, that doesn't make sense, Lord. Why would you ever lead us this way as an individual or as a family, maybe as a church? God, why would you want us to go this direction when that doesn't make sense to me because all we've ever known is these things and how we live out this faith? And and he may be leading you down a path where you've just got to trust and know that God always provides. He always provides, even if it sounds crazy, even if it sounds... Now, I'm not saying if somebody tells you in your ear, you have a thought in your head that goes against Scripture. For us, we have Scripture. This is our boundaries. This, this keeps us between the ditches, okay? This tells us if it doesn't line up with this, it's not from the Lord. He doesn't contradict himself. But it may seem on the surface that it's contradictory. And so I'm just telling you, even when it seems contradictory, if you have a, a direction from the Lord, you need to remember, remember all the time that God always provides. That's what Abraham's remembering. Look at it, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Look, this guy not only had to get up in the morning and go, we don't know if he told his wife or not, but probably not, because I don't know how many moms in here would let their son be taken off by their dad to sacrifice them, right? We just know he got up in the morning, he saddled his donkey, he's getting the go car, the, the, the get out of here car ready to go, right? He cuts the wood, he loads it up, and they take off with some help. And he goes, and he travels three days. So not only has he got to get up and go do this thing, he's got to go for three days, stopping at night, getting up in the morning, going again, knowing every day is one day closer. Every day he's taking another step. He's got to think about it all day long. He's had the longest days of his life probably, taking steps that way. And he's got to be overwhelmed even thinking about it. This is Sidney Grudanus is, a, is one of the commentators I really like talking about how to see Jesus in the Old Testament. He says this about this whole story. He says, now God asked Abraham to offer Isaac on an altar as a burnt offering. God asked Abraham to turn laughter, that's what Isaac was called, laughter. Remember Sarah laughed? He said, his name will be laughter when she found out she's going to be pregnant. He said, God asked Abraham to turn laughter into smoke. God asked Abraham to burn his bridges in front of him as he had burned his bridges behind him in Genesis 12, 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, where he's saying basically, leave everything you own, leave everything you know, take it all up and go with your, your family and go where I'm going to show you. So he burned all those bridges, now he's saying burn the bridges in front of you. Do that and then walk alone with God. 
to rely solely on God. That's what he's asking Abraham to do. That's an impossible ask, but Abraham's doing it. You know how you do that? You know how you walk through times like that in your life where you feel like, I don't understand how this is happening? I don't know. I can't believe. I I don't think I can even do this thing. You know how you do it. If it's something that you believe God's leading you to, no matter how difficult it is, you take one step at a time until you get through the thing. That's what Abraham's doing, one step at a time. Depending on the Lord, every step of the way. You know he has to be every step of the way, depending on him. Look at this. In fact, though, we know that he not only depends on him, he has faith that God can still provide the answer to the covenant he promised. Look, look at the words in verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, you may not see it in your translation as easily. Let me give it to you in the idea of the Hebrew or in other translations makes more clear. Everything in that sentence is plural. It's plural. He says, we're going to go over here. You guys all stay here. Me and my son are going to go over here. Look at it again in that sense, verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, we, I and the boy, will go over there and worship. And this, this idea of the verb here in the Hebrew, you can tell if it's plural or not. It says, we will worship and we, is implied, we will come again to you. So Abraham's believing some way or another. I don't think he's trying to be deceptive. I don't think he, Abraham shows he can be deceptive later, we find out. That's a whole other topic. But I don't think he's trying to be deceptive. I think he's just saying he believes. He really does believe. We will come back to you. Now, how do I know that? Why am I, I'm not, this is not conjecture. Okay, I'm not just throwing this idea out. I don't like to do that. I don't like to say what I think Scripture's doing when it's not clear. So I'm going to give you other Scripture to say this. If you want to, write down Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19. I'm going to read it real quick for us. This is the author of Hebrews, led by the Holy Spirit, to tell us what's going on in the heart of Abraham. All right, you ready? All right, here we go. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So this author, according to the leading and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us how to interpret what's going on in the heart of Abraham. And he's saying, Abraham is telling these folks, we'll come back to you after we worship, because he really believes that if he has to kill his son, God is going to raise him up, because God made a promise, and God always fulfills his promises. God always provides. He always does, and he believes it, and he's going to walk in that truth. Now, I can't imagine what he's going through in the midst of that, because even if you know that God will provide, even if you know that God always fulfills his promises, sometimes you're asked to do things. Sometimes you don't even ask. You just have to walk through things that you just can't understand why God would do what he would do, and the goal here is not that you can ever, you may have to go through things that you never get over. You have to go through stuff that you never get over, you just get through it. And we just got to trust in the Lord that he says he will provide and he always provides. The problem is oftentimes we think God provides for us or will provide for us in a way that doesn't get stated in scripture that he'll do it that way. So we'll get to that in a little bit, get ahead of myself. Let me say it like this, thinking about this journey with Abraham, here's your point number two, even when the journey seems unbearable. God always provides. Even when you can't take any more, God always provides. 
Now, how does that even work? We're going to cover that in a minute. Just write it down for now. We'll take it home and chew on it later. Look at verses 6 through 8. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so that they both of them went together. This is how we're pretty sure that Abraham was a little later on, that Isaac was a young, ruddy guy, probably at that point. Probably an early teenager, maybe at least. Because all the wood that it would take to build that altar was laid on his son alone. And he took it up the mountain. Abraham's an old guy. He's over 100 years old. No matter how old you are, that's old, right? That's just old. It doesn't seem quite as old every decade or so that I'm alive, but it's still old. <laughs> over 100 years old. He is, he's a guy that he's taking the fire, he's taking the knife, and his son's getting all the wood, and he's hauling it up the mountain. So, so now he's asking his son to carry the load, Right? And he's going with him. Look what he does. Look what he says. So they both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, he said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Great question, right? I mean, you think we're on a trip. I, I, we'll get the lamb later. We'll pick it up on the way. My dad's arranged for it, whatever, you know. He's trusting in his dad. He says, dad, you, we were, we're almost there, it looks like. And You've got the fire, you've got the knife, i got the wood, but where's, where's the lamb for the offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. I'm going to repeat the words. Let that sink in for a minute and think holistically about what God has proven himself in a generation since and what he is stating ahead of his years, beyond his understanding, Abraham's saying, listen to these words. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. It's amazing. His faith is saying, hey, God's going to provide. Son, I don't understand either, but God will provide. And he's hoping that God will provide. But part of him knows I'm about to kill you. But God's going to provide. I don't know how. But I trust in him. When you're sitting on the bed of your child who's sick and almost on death, or your spouse as you're watching them get ready to leave, or as a loved one in your family, or something's blowing up in your life, you often have no idea how it's going to work. But faith is saying, put your hope in the Lord, because God always provides. Again, it may not be the way you want it to be. It may not be the way you expect it to be, but God always provides. Even when everything else within you says, no, I can't do it, even then, God always provides. I can't imagine anything else is going on in the mind of Abraham except that. He had to be saying to himself, I can't do this. How am I going to do this? Lord, I'm just going to be obedient. I don't know what to do right now. Sometimes you're going to go through things in your life where you have no idea what to do. You need to take one foot up and step it in front of the other, and you need to keep being obedient to what the Lord has led you in. And just know that when you don't even feel like he's with you, he's with you. He's with you. R. Kent Hughes says, when we are called to give our Isaacs the things that are most precious to us, that's our Isaacs, we need to understand when we do it that God is Jehovah Jireh, God provides. That's what you're going to see he names this place, God provides. We also need to understand as we see this, the picture that's unfolding before us that points to Christ. I mean, this, this is just laden with things all through it that point to Jesus, right? Little one, John 19, 17. And he went out, talking about Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross. In other words, having his cross on him, on his back, the wood placed on his back, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. 
right? We need to understand that what's going on here is a typologist pointing to the Christ, but how does it point to the Christ? How do we relate to that? That's the question. What is God doing? Why is he allowing this to happen? Go on. Look at verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So he's, he's built it, he's laid him on there, he's ready to do the deed. Then Abraham reaches out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. So Abraham's ready to take his son's life. Now, we know what's about to happen is Abraham's going to be saved from having to do that. But some of us are going to go through things that we're not safe from. And it's going to be hard. Right, look, look at this story. Let's see this good one play out. The, the angel said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son. Here it is again, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold him, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time in verse 15 and on and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offering, your offspring, as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring... Now that's singular. And in your offspring, in your offspring, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to this young man, his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Now that outcome is good. But there will be times in your life where God is calling you to walk a path and the outcome will not be good. And you'll be tempted to say that God provided for Abraham. Why don't you provide for me? Why don't you come through for me, Lord? Where are you? What are you doing? And it's tempting to be that way. And some of us have been there before. And I don't think that in desperation as you cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, where are you? I don't think that he's upset with you when you cry out like that. I mean, when you're, when you're doing it because you're looking at him like Job does later in the story for him and he's getting angry about it, that's a different story. When you're calling out desperation, where are you, Lord? I don't think he's mad about that. He wants us to yearn and cry out to him. But what we need to understand is this next truth on your list. It'd be number four when it says this. No matter the trial and no matter the outcome, God has already provided more than we could ever need in Jesus. No matter the outcome, God has provided more than we could ever need in Jesus. Now, you may be looking at me or listening to me and thinking, well, that's, a complete load of something that I don't agree with. And you can think that because you may have been through some things where you felt like it wasn't enough for me. I'm still hurting. I'm still beat up. I, I, still, I still can't get over this thing. I can't walk in that truth. I don't, I don't know if it's even true. My experience tells me different, that I'm not over it. I haven't gotten through it. It's not been enough. Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't enough for me. I want you to hang with me for just a few minutes and let me help you to understand what I mean. And let me just see if I can let Scripture lead us into a better understanding. We are taught by people in this world who call themselves preachers of the gospel that because you have faith, and if you have enough of it, 
that God's going to provide all you want and all you need. And they mean that in the sense of prosperity. People are going to tell you that if you have enough faith and you believe hard enough that you're going to get what you want and you're going to get what you need. And if you didn't get it, it's because you didn't believe enough. And that's a load of crud. That is not the gospel truth of the Bible. You need to understand. This is being preached, and it is so... Listen, listen brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm, it is so prevalent in our culture that we actually believe in this and don't even realize we believe in it. Let's not think about people we know that believe in it more than us. I need you to take a moment and take some time to write, make a note so you can go home and pray with me that God will reveal how we believe in this kind of prosperity gospel that is not the gospel of Scripture. Let me show you something. Hebrews eleven thirty two through 38. This is what we call the Hall of Heroes. He just talked about Moses and Abraham and Noah and all these heroes in the faith. This is at the end of this, right? These are all the great faith people. We, we, you know, all the prosperity teachers who say, this is what you've got to believe. Believe like these guys. I want you to, and everything's going to be great. That's what they would say. Listen to this. Hebrews eleven thirty two and on. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Sounds good, right? That sounds like, yeah, yeah, faith, that's what happens. Does it, this is the same First, like, listen to what goes on. Read the first one. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. That means people that loved the Lord so much that the world's not worthy of them, died horrible deaths because of their faith. Now, where does that line up in prosperity theology? It does not. That's the answer. And so God may never provide in the way you think he will. I bet these people prayed not to die that way. I bet these people prayed not to go through this. In fact, we have an example of this with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? Maybe you don't. You need to go back and read I'm going to give you a taste. Daniel 3... 13 through 18. These are guys who refuse to bow down to the king who said, everybody has to bow down to me. He's going to throw them in this giant furnace and burn them up, right? One of my favorite songs by Shane and Shane is about this. I love, I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the old time. I got so many, but it's one of my really good ones. I love this story because it just, man, I wish I had faith like this all the time. I don't. I pray for it regular. We should all. Look, here's the story. Daniel 3, 13 through 18. The Nebuchadnezzar in his furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, and when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well, and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Listen to this. 
But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What they're saying is that even if he doesn't save us, he's still God. And we trust in him. And we'll give our lives for his glory. We'll become flaming torches set afire, just like some of these guys in the English Reformation did. They were burned alive at the stake for their faith. They would not recant. And it became the match that lit the English Reformation. Look, this means for us that we can't believe in a theology that even Jesus didn't aspire to or live out. Jesus died naked, homeless, with no money, ashamed on the cross, being made fun of and mocked after being flogged, killed on the cross, the most horrible way to die in that age. He died that way. Why do we think our lives will be any better, right? And so we think God owes us something. He owes us nothing, but he's given us everything in Jesus. He's given us everything we could ever need because everything in Christ means we get to have him forever. Eternity is not about being in heaven forever. Eternity is about being with the God who loves you so much that he gave the most valuable thing in the world to you so that you could believe on him and be with him forever so he could have you forever. We get to love him because he first loved us. And he proved that love with the father walking the son up the hill to Golgotha. And at Calvary, he was placed on the cross and he died in our place as our substitutionary sacrifice. He died taking all of the wrath at the hand of the father, all of the wrath. Abraham got spared that, but the father doled it out on the son who's worth more than all of creation combined so we can be brought into the family of God. And he is now saying to you, no matter what you go through, you get to have me. Put your faith and hope in me. I always provide. I always provide. No matter what it is, I always provide. No matter what your hurt is, what your struggle is, he always provides. The problem is we don't see the beauty of Christ for how great and wonderful and valuable he is. We just don't see it. If we could see that more, we would understand more of what's been done for us, and it would overwhelm us in everything. So my question today as we get to close down here, and I'm going a little long, let me just say this, this, this is, we need to have some questions on how to apply this. You hear a good truth and go, that's truth. We've got to work that in ourselves now and say, do I live by that? So the question I have for you and for me is in whom or what do you place your faith? This seems like a silly question, stupid question even. In whom or what do you place your faith? Look, God will test you, and he will provide for you. But the question is, when you go through that stuff, sometimes God reveals what your Isaacs are that might be hard for you to give up. So I want to ask you a few extra questions here. Let me say this too. How can God give up Isaac? How can he ask ask Abraham to give up Isaac? Because he was willing to give up his only son. His son, his only son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. He knows what it means to sacrifice. He knows what it means to give up everything you have for the sake of saving some, for the sake of being a part of the kingdom. He knows. He understands. Nobody understands like he understands. The one worth more than everything dying for us. God the Father knows. So if you can trust God with your eternal redemption, can you not trust him with your Isaacs in your life? Here's the questions I have for you. How do you know what your Isaacs are? How do you know what they are? These are things where if all of a sudden you get a phone call today and it destroyed your life, that thing that you lost would be an Isaac for you. If you get a call today and heard that your son or daughter had been taken out of this life and it destroyed you in such a way that you walked away from God, that you, I can't believe that would ever happen. Why would God ever let that happen? I, I can't love a God like that. Well, there you go. There's your Isaac. 
That's where you say, okay, I love God all the way up till that point. Or if you said something like, if, if my job, my career, my, my next promotion, my whatever it is, if that's the thing that determines whether or not you're going to follow God and you don't get it, you don't follow him, that's where your Isaac is. What's the thing that you put over and above God in your life if you're not careful? And Abraham didn't do that, but this is what it could be for us. So where is that for you? So here's some questions. Here's questions you ask yourself. Don't answer them now. Write them down, and, and then don't answer them. Go home and pray. Ask God to reveal it to you. Number one, A, do you love God more than you love your Isaacs? Think about it in that way. Do I love this person, my spouse, my kids, my job, my career, my house, whatever it is, my, my hobby, more than I love God? You say, no, of course I don't. Take some time and ask, what if I lost that thing? How would I respond? Secondly, do you trust in God more than you trust in your Isaacs? Some of us put our hope in our children and we put unbearable weight on them, right? You've got to succeed. You've got to get a 31 on the ACT. You've got to to get into school and pay your way. You've got to do that. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to. No, they don't. No, they don't. They, 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 are, they are God's sovereign child. They, they, God's chosen to be to take them, and they've given you that child as the steward, and you, and you and I are there to lead them to Jesus. That's what they have to do. That's the biggest thing they have to do is come to know Christ. That's the biggest thing. They may be a person that all they do is something that never requires any kind of college education, and, and it's okay. And it's not wrong to want that for them. But we don't put that burden on them saying, you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to. No, 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 no. They, they got to get to know Jesus. Because 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter for you, me, or them is whether or not they know the Christ. That's all that's going to matter. Be careful. We also don't put that kind of weight, trusting in this person, trusting in your spouse. Your spouse is not intended to carry the weight of you trusting in them like they are God. You say, I don't do that. Look, do you look at them and hold them so high up? that whenever they fail you, that you come unraveled and lose your mind on them, then you are looking at them way more than they're ever intended to be. They're meant to be the icing on the cake. They're meant to be a gift from the Lord. And if they mess up, yes, they shouldn't mess up, but you shouldn't come unraveled because your hope is in the Lord, not in them. So find out how you respond to these things. It'll point you out. Where do you put your trust? You put it in your career? Listen, do you want God more than you want your Isaacs? That's a good question for us, right? Do you want God more? He said, no, no, I want God the most. Okay, what is your time? What is your treasure? What is your talent being used for that says that? Does it really say that? Do you really want him most? Are you spending time with him? You can't say you love someone you don't spend time with. I guarantee you right now, if I said I love my wife over and over and over again, oh, I love you, honey, I love you, honey, but I never spent time with her, do you think she would believe me? No, no way, no way. See how you spend your time. What do you want most? Let me ask this. This is the real heavy hitter. If God took away all my Isaacs, would he still be enough? If God took away all my Isaacs, would he still be enough? That's the real question, isn't it? Where am I putting my hope? Where am I putting my faith? Would he still be enough? Look. The question oftentimes we ask is, is will God provide? That's not the right question. That's, that's really not the right question. The right question is, who is my God today? Because my God has provided all I ultimately need in Jesus. Anything else is just extra. And I can enjoy the extra, and I can love the extra, and I can praise the Lord for the extra. But the minute I take the extra and I put it in the place of God and my love and desire and worship is the minute I all of a sudden create idolatry, and I'm not worshiping the God of Scriptures, I'm worshiping something else, and I've got it all out of whack. Look, you're going to go through things you can't get over on your own. You're going to go through things that you will not believe you can even make it through. Some of you have. 
I've heard stories from some of you that I can't believe you walked through the things you walked through. I don't discount them. Hear me right. I am overwhelmed just hearing the stories, not even walking through them. But I can say this, that there's one who understands greater than we can ever imagine because the son who never, ever, ever did anything, who's worth more than everything, never did anything wrong, who's worth more than everything, gave his life willingly for all of us who continued to sin against God and the father who should zap us under his wrath out of existence instead poured out his wrath on the son so that you and I could be brought into the family of God. Not just justified and declared righteous, but adopted into the family because he loves us so much that he would give the one worth more than everything for us to be with him forever. Man, it's time for us to turn around and say, whatever I'm going through, God will provide. In fact, he's already provided in Jesus, and that's enough. It's enough. And I may suffer now. I may be sawn in two. I may be tortured, but I will. I will trust in the Lord because he's proven himself faithful, especially in the person and work of his son, Jesus. And that alone is enough. That alone is enough. That is where our heart is done good, to be brought back to that real gospel. Not the gospel that says you get what you want. The gospel that says you should want what you've already been given in Jesus. I hope today we put our hope and faith there. I'm going to pray for us now. We're going to sing a song. And and my prayer will continue to be that God would remind us this week that God is enough that he will provide because he's already provided in Christ. And we can pray for those things that we want and we yearn for. Our Father wants us to come and ask and talk to him about it. But that we find our satisfaction alone in the one he's already given, who is the Christ. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your victory in Jesus, that you have given so much in giving him that we can never fathom the depth of the value and the treasure that is in your son, Jesus. Would you work in our hearts to help us to see that truth? Would you remove the Isaacs out of our vision long enough that we might see their place in our lives, but that we would see that you alone deserve the throne? God, show us where you have provided and show us where we are misplacing our hope and trust. And help us to repent in the power of your Holy Spirit that we would love and trust in your son Jesus' work person, that we would be brought back into that loving relationship and where you would be enough for us. Lord, when those things are in right order, we seem to live lives that give you the most glory. Help us to do what you created us to do, Lord, to glorify you and to love you because you first loved us in Christ. And we ask that in his name.